I remember the first time I went to one of these stir-fry places where you make your own, or you not make your own, but you put your own ingredients in the bowl, and then you give it to the cook, and they stir-fry it for you. You know what I'm talking about? been in one of those places before, and I, I got my meat. By the way, I was with Frank. I've never seen so much beef in one bowl. But anyway, I got my meat, and, and I got some other stuff, and you came to the place where you get the different sauces to flavor the mixture of vegetables and, and meat and rice, and so uh, I got what I thought was a good portion of, of hot sauce to, you know, I like a little bit of heat in my food, and I gave it to the cook, and they cooked it, and it was way too much hot sauce. All, all I can tell you is my mouth was on fire. Every bite, I was trying to act tough because I was with Frank, and, and, uh, and, and I was trying to act tough, but it, there, there, was, there was way too much in my food. I learned that day that a little bit of, of hot sauce can go a long way, right? Well, did you know it's the same when it comes to encouragement? A little bit of encouragement can go a long way. And I believe there is great untapped potential in the body of Christ when it comes to this area of encouragement. It's a, it's a major factor in church health and gospel expansion. And so keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We are continuing our study through this wonderful New Testament book, Acts chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. I want to talk to you about the ministry of encouragement. Just by way of announcement, just remember starting in June, we're going to begin a summer sermon series through June and July on the doctrine of the Trinity. So I'm excited about that. So make sure that if you're not out of town on a mission trip or family vacation or a student camp or something like that, make sure that you are here throughout the summer. We're going to focus on the vital... Uh, doctrine of the Trinity, and I can't wait to, to preach those sermons to you. But this morning we're in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. I want to ask you today if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And just a reminder, God's Word is truth with no mixture of error. I believe the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it is God's Word to us. What a gift the church has. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says, After the uproar ceased, the the potential riot in Ephesus that we talked about last week, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, notice that, after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he had given them much, what? Encouragement. Then he came to Greece. Now fast forward down to verse 7. Paul is in Troas, and it says... On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Now, there's a lot I could say about that, (laughs) but we'll move on. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. It's dangerous to sleep in sermons. There, I said it. All right? But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while 
until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive. He, he was given his life back by God's grace. And it says they were not a little comforted. Now that word comforted is the same word translated encouraged earlier in the chapter, parakaleo. And so when Paul walked away and the youth was alive, it says the people were, just, were not a little, they were a lot encouraged. Let's pray together. Father, we pause in this moment to express our need for you. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, Father, we're grateful that you have spoken through your word. We're grateful, Holy Spirit, that you accompany the preaching of your word with your power and your illumination. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so we would see these truths and have the wherewithal to apply them to our lives. May we walk away today grateful for the finished work of Jesus. May we walk away today saying, Hallelujah, what a Savior. May we walk away today, Lord, understanding what the ministry of encouragement is all about. And so, God, would you work in our midst? Would you move with power as we just sang, Have your own way, Lord, in our midst. We'll thank you for it. All this we ask by your grace and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If I were to ask you the question, what are the essentials in reaching the world for Christ? You would probably say, well, we need the Bible. Uh, we need God's Word to reach the world for Christ. And we're grateful we have God's Word. And, and, and hopefully you would say, well, the Gospel, that message from God's Word of the good news of the finished work of Christ... Uh, what Jesus did for us so that sinners could be saved. You would say the gospel is an essential to, to reach the world for Christ. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation uh, for everyone who believes. And so that's an essential if we're going to change the world. Uh, you would uh, probably say the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing in our own strength and own power. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God so we can be effective witnesses and servants for Him. Uh, you would probably mention strategy. We would need a, an effective, uh, reproducible, simple strategy that could be translated uh, into every people group to the very ends of the earth. And so we need the right strategy to reach the world for Christ. You would mention resources, you know, people resources, time resources, uh, financial resources, things we need to, to do ministry and get to the nations. And, and there's a lot of things you would mention uh, as we talk about reaching the world for Christ. But it might take you a while to mention encouragement as an essential for reaching the world for Christ. As we study the book of Acts and see the explosion of the gospel uh, from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, what we cannot take for granted is how God used encouragement as a large uh, part of what was happening in the first century. And if we're going to reach the world for Christ, we've got to understand the ministry of encouragement. And it's right here in our text this morning. Now, I want to answer this question. How can you and I live out a ministry of encouragement? How can we be encouragers? Well, again, the answer is here in Acts chapter 20. So let me give you four answers to the question. How can we live out a ministry of encouragement? Number one, you ready? Fortify others' faith. 
fortify others' faith. Learn to strengthen others' faith in the great and glorious promises of God. Fortify others' faith. Notice what it says there in verse 1. After the uproar ceased. Now, last week we looked at the the large mob that gathered in Ephesus went to the theater, which would hold 25,000 people, and they were enraged against uh, those preaching the gospel because it was taking away from their business, which was built around the shrine, the temple of Artemis. And so they whipped the people into a frenzy, and the, the mob is crying out for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, over and over and over. And they have two uh, companions of Paul preaches the gospel there in that theater with them, and, and their life was in danger. But finally, a, a city clerk comes and calms them down and says, listen, if we riot, the Roman Empire might get involved. They might send a legion of soldiers, and we get in trouble for rioting. So he sent everyone home, and disaster was averted. But there was unmistakable hostility against Christians in Ephesus. And the believers in this church knew that. So it says, after the uproar ceased, after the hostility died down for a moment, that potential mob was dispersed. It says, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So before Paul says goodbye, he gets the saints together. He gets the church in Ephesus together. And he's saying, listen, I I know, we don't know exactly what he said, but probably he was speaking of this mob. I know that there's hostility in the city. I know it's scary when a mob forms and drags two two preachers of the gospel into the theater. I know it's intimidating to live for Christ in this city, but don't stop living for Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Be courageous. Do the right thing. Live for his glory. He was encouraging them in light of this uproar that had, that had come against Christians. And so what's he doing? Under the threat of hostility, Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus. He wants them to keep on keeping on. He is fortifying. He is, he is strengthening their faith. What do we learn from that? We learn that we need each other to stay strong and courageous. As a matter of fact, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, a letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Look what it says in verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. For you are all children of light, talking to the church in Thessalonica, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul's talking about the armor that we wear uh, as we live as light in this world. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So he's saying, hey, put on your armor. We live in dark days, but you're to be the light of Christ. You need to be ready for battle. But look how he closes this passage in verse 11. Therefore, in light of the battle, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
uh, Paul is writing here, as you seek to be light in this darkness, as you put on your gospel armor, make sure that you are encouraging one another because you need each other to fortify your faith. And so what Paul's doing here in Acts chapter 20 is he's fortifying the faith of the people. And we need to learn from that. We live in distressing times and as our culture gets more and more hostile to Christianity and to churches, there's going to be a temptation on our part to just be quiet, to kind of settle in and and kind of do our own thing privately when it comes to our faith and not stand for truth and not shine our light and not share Jesus. There's going to be a temptation to live that kind of life. And when we have that temptation, we need a brother or sister in Christ, listen, speaking into our life, saying, hey, be strong and courageous. Stand on the truth. Preach the gospel. Don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith, right? We need that. That's what, that's what Paul is doing over in Acts chapter 20. He is fortifying their faith. You, you see sometimes on labels at the grocery store, food that's been fortified with extra nutrients, with extra vitamins, is to make the food more healthy, to give you more strength. And that's the idea here. We need to fortify each other with encouragement so we can have the strength and the wherewithal we need to live boldly for Jesus when there is darkness all around. So how can we live out a ministry of encouragement? Fortify others' faith. Speak encouragement, speak courage into other people's lives. Don't let people give up or don't let people be silent. Encourage your brother and sister in Christ. That's number one, fortify others' faith. There's a second answer to this question. How can we live out a ministry of encouragement? Here it is, and this this is really simple, but I'm telling you it's powerful. You ready? Check on people. Isn't that profound? Check on people. That's how you can live out a ministry of encouragement. Now look back with me in Acts 20. We see some interesting things about Paul's journeys. It says in verse 2, after he'd encouraged the disciples in Ephesus, he said farewell and departed for... Macedonia had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. And so we know that Paul went to Corinth and he stayed three months. Because look what it says in verse 3. There uh, he spent three months when a plot was made against him by the Jews. As he was about to set sail for Syria. So he goes through Macedonia, goes into Greece, and he hangs out in Corinth for three months. And then it says... He went back through Macedonia. Look what it says in verse 3. When a threat was made against him, he's about to set sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. Now, what cities were in Macedonia? Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those those cities he had gone through uh, on his second missionary journey. And churches had been started as the gospel was preached. And so he's going back to areas where churches had been started. And he's checking on those churches. Paul made it a priority, listen, to check on new Christians and new churches. It was a a, a central hallmark of Paul's ministry that he would check on new Christians and new churches. Let me show you this. Look over in Acts 15, verse 36. Acts 15, verse 36. After the first missionary journey... 
Paul and Barnabas are talking about going on a second missionary journey. And it says there, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers, the Christians, in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That awesome? Paul saying, hey, let's check on the believers. Let's check on the brothers. Let's check on the Christians in those cities where we preach the gospel. And so Paul made it a priority to check on new believers, to check on Christians. And he made it a priority to check on churches. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians very quickly. I'm going to show you just a profound passage about Paul's heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 24, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Paul is defending his apostleship, and he wants the believers in Corinth to know what he had gone through for following Christ. Look what he says in verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Wow. Three times, Paul says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Paul went through a lot for, for, for Christ, for preaching the gospel. But look what he says next. Look at the next verse. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul said, yes, I was beaten, shipwrecked, hungry, thirsty, adrift at sea. But listen, there's also the added weight, the added anxiety of the health of the new churches that have been started. He cared about those churches deeply. And so Paul made it a top priority to check on new Christians and churches. Now, here's how this applies to you and I. There's great kingdom impact in checking on people. You say, wait, how can I be a great commission Christian? Well, there are many answers to that question, but here's one answer. You can check on folks. You can check on people. And, and if you will check on people, then you will be furthering the work of the great commission. You'll be furthering the work of the gospel because encouragement is an essential element in the expansion of the gospel. So here's a little exercise I want to just run through with you very quickly. If you look there in your handouts, I've given you some blanks. And I want you to jot down, maybe right now, there may be three or four folks who come to your mind, or maybe when you get home, maybe this week as you think through it. But I want you to jot down sometime soon a list of several people you need to check on. And if you can't think of anybody, say, Lord... Would you just, would you bring to the surface of my heart and mind someone I need to check on? And just ask God that question to see who surfaces. And, and just jot that person down. There may be somebody right now, you're thinking of two throats right now. You know exactly who you need to check on. Write them down. Just write those names down. And then after you write these names down, I want you to go to the second step. I want you to, to check on them. And when you check on them, I want to give you some good questions to ask, all right? So I've given you three. This is not exhaustive, but three starter questions to ask somebody when you check on them. Here's question number one. How are you really doing? Now, that's a big difference from how are you doing, right? 
We ask that question all the time. How are you doing? Fine. If I asked all of you this morning, how are you doing? Before church started, probably 99% would say, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine, right? And, and I'm telling you, 99% of you aren't fine. All right? We all got issues. Can I get an amen? We all got things going on in our life. We all need prayer. We all need encouragement. We all need, we all need help. And so ask the question, how are you really doing? Don't give me that good and fine stuff. I want to know how things are really going in your life. Just check on them. Ask them that question. Then just be a good listener. Second question, how is your walk with God? How is your walk with God? Because this is not just a a social call. This is soul care. You, You care about that other person's soul, their walk with God. How are you doing in your walk with God? Are things great? Are things wonderful? Or are, are you having just good, sweet fellowship with the Lord? Are you, you serving Him? Or, or do you feel distant from God? Are you going through a spiritually dry period of your life? Are things stagnant? Uh, tell me how you're doing spiritually. Tell me about your walk with God. And then listen, be a good active listener. Ask some follow-up questions because that's a very revealing Uh, question when people answer it honestly. How is your walk with God? Here's a third great question to ask. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I've asked that question to a lot of folks through the years and almost everyone, almost everyone is willing to let you pray for them. And, and, and would like for you to pray for them. And when you ask someone how you can pray for them, a lot of times issues surface that are real in their life. And so it's a really good question. Yes, how can I pray for you? So write some names down, ask these three questions. How are you really doing? How is your walk with God? How can I pray for you? Those are wonderful questions to ask. My mother um, passed away in 2011. We lost her to cancer. And that was a traumatic time. And, and uh, you know, my dad has carried on. He, uh, he's hanging in there doing well. Uh, but do you know that people still ask me here in this church how my dad's doing? This is past week. Someone said, how's your dad doing? And that's been, what, almost five years since my mom passed away, and people are still asking about how my dad's doing? That's incredible. Brian Allen, he's right over there. Brian, if we talk very long, he's going to ask, how's your dad? That's incredible that people are still asking about my dad. You know what that is? That is encouragement. That's checking on folks. That's seeing how people are doing. And so, listen, we all have room to grow in this. Amen? Every one of us have room. I got an amen. Every one of us, I like amens, by the way, all right? Every one of us have room to grow in this area. We really do. So let's learn to be encouragers by checking on people. Paul in Acts 20, he was checking on people. When's the last time you checked on somebody? It's a good question. Now, there's a third answer to this question. How can we live a ministry of encouragement? Fortify others' faith. Check on people. Number three, help others reach their potential. Help others 
reach their potential. Look back with me in Acts chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 3. Acts chapter 20, verse 3. There he spent three months, Corinth, Greece, when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Look what it says in verse 4. So Peter, the Berean, so this man was from Berea. You remember the story of the Bereans in Acts 17? They were examining the things Paul was teaching and testing them by the word to see if they were accurate and true. So, so Peter was accompanying Paul on this journey. Son of Pyrrhus uh, accompanied him of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So you can look at the cities that Paul went through on his second missionary journey. And almost every city that's mentioned, there's a representative from that city with Paul on his journey, accompanying him. What is Paul doing? Paul is developing leadership. Paul made it a priority to develop leaders. He would take folks that he saw potential in for leadership roles, and he would say, hey, go with me. Spend some time with me on this journey. He made it a priority to develop leaders, and we need to have that as our priority. Because listen to me, we cannot reach the world only with our current leaders in our churches. Because guess what? Current leaders pass away, right? They move on. And so if we're going to reach the world, if we're going to be an effective church, uh, not only do we need leaders for 2016, we need leaders for 2025, right? So, so we can't stop the leadership development process. We've got to continue developing leaders to carry on the work of the gospel. And one of the ways I pray for our church often is I pray that God would raise up and thrust out leaders. Church planters, uh, missionaries, pastors, church staff members, um, businessmen that have a platform to make disciples those in education, those in the healthcare field, um, the, those, those moms that work in the home, that, that God would raise up folks that want to be a great witness for Christ wherever God has placed them. That leaders would continue to, to, just, to just surface in the life of our church with a definite call on their life to make a difference with the gospel. That's the way I pray for our church all of the time. So, how can we help others reach their God-given potential? Two things right here in the text. Number one, spend time with them. Spend time with them. Notice what it says. It says in verse 4, So Peter the Berean, son of Pierce, accompanied him, along with the other names that are mentioned. They were accompanying him. He was hanging out with them, spending time with him. You know, they were on a journey together. If you've ever been, ever been on a short-term trip with somebody, you know how close you get on that trip, Right? There's always that bond you have. Hey, hey, remember that time we were in, you know, Western Europe together? Remember that time we were in, uh, you know, Kosoro together? Remember that time we were in Southeast Asia together? And there's that bond there because you spend time together. And Paul spent time with these, these potential leaders. Here's another way you can uh, raise up leaders. Give them something to do. Look what it says in verse 5. 
says these, these folks accompanying Paul, went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi for the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. So Paul sent these, these folks ahead. Say, go ahead, we'll meet you in a few days. He gave them a ministry assignment. We don't know what they were doing in Troas, but Paul sent them to prepare the way. He gave them an assignment. And you and I, if we want to help others reach their God, give them attention. We need to spend time with folks and then give them something to do. Give them an assignment. And if they will do that with you, watching them and modeling and encouraging, they can, uh, they can grasp their God-given potential. You know what makes a great coach? A great coach is not someone that sees what he has and simply puts them in the right places and has the right X's and O's to execute a game plan. A great coach sees what he has, and then he sees what those folks could be. And he helps them to develop into their potential. That's what a great coach is. And if we're going to reach the world, we need to be spiritual coaches, amen? Where we see folks and say, hey, this is not... This is not my resource to work with. This is a person that has great God-given potential, and I want to help them realize that potential and be used greatly in the body of Christ for the glory of God. And so we need to help others reach their potential. Now let me ask you a question. I don't have blanks there, but you may want to jot some names down. Who is there in your life? Who has God placed in your circle of influence that you have the potential to encourage into their potential. Who is there in your life that you have the the potential to encourage to be a a leader in the body of Christ? Help others reach their potential. I remember I went through a a moment of just just sadness uh, in my life and and, uh, what was happening is uh, there's a certain period in, in, in... a few, a few years ago, where many great Christian leaders uh, were passing away. People like Adrian Rogers and, and Bill Bright, you know, names like D. James Kennedy, and some of, these, some of these great leaders had such a voice in our nation and, and spoke with such clarity and power um, to the conscience of the nation. They were passing away, and you're looking here, and you're thinking, who's, who's going to take these guys' place? I mean, who, who's out there to, to, to step into these guys' shoes and fulfill this role and, and make a difference? And listen to me. The answer to that question is, it's our job to develop leaders. It's our job. It's our job to help others see their God-given potential. So, we need to help others reach their potential. But there's a final answer to this question. How can we... Live out a ministry of encouragement. We need to fortify others' faith, check on people, help others reach their potential. But fourth and last, we need to share the Word of God. When you talk to someone, when you encounter someone, you need to make sure that the Word of God is front and center in that conversation. Now, if you look there in your notes, during the events in this passage, Acts 20... The New Testament was in process of being written. So the church had all the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. It was in process of being written. And here's what's interesting. When you begin to look at the itinerary in Acts and compare it to some of the letters that Paul wrote to some of the churches, you begin to see sort of the timeline for many of the letters that Paul wrote. For example, during this period in Acts chapter 20, 
Paul was writing letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that are now parts of our Bible. When Paul was in Ephesus, he wrote 1 Corinthians because of some concerns he had about that church. Back up with me to Acts chapter 19. Look what it says in verse 22. Verse 22. It says, Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Scholars believe that when he sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia, he was sending the letter that we call 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth because of what he mentions over in 1 Corinthians 16.10. He mentions uh, Timothy being sent with the letter. So looking at the itinerary and the clues in 1 Corinthians, they believe this is when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, sent it to the church in Corinth. At some point during his three-year ministry in Ephesus, reading 2 Corinthians, we learn that Paul went to Corinth. When he returned from Corinth, because they weren't responsive to his leadership, he wrote a tearful letter, a severe letter. He talks about that in 2 Corinthians 2, 1 and 4, and chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. And then after the ride in Ephesus, Acts 20, Paul left Ephesus headed toward Macedonia and Achaia. He expected to meet Titus at Troas and get a report on the problems in Corinth. We learn about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, but Titus did not come. So the men finally met in Macedonia, and Paul rejoiced over the good news Titus brought that the church had repented in godly sorrow. That's 2 Corinthians 7, 5, and 7. That's when he wrote what we now know as 2 Corinthians. And and again, so we see the timeline unfolding. Then he went to Corinth. He spent some time with the church in Corinth. He originally planned to make two visits to Corinth, but instead he just made one visit that lasted three months. We read about that in Acts 20, verse 3. During that visit, listen to me, when he's in Corinth, he wrote the book of Romans. Three-month time span, he wrote the letter that we know as the book of Romans. We know that because of the clues found in Acts, um, uh, sorry, Romans 15, 22 through 32. Gaius is mentioned, uh, and Romans 16, 23, uh, again, mentions here those that he sent uh, from Corinth with that letter. And so, during that visit, he wrote the epistle to the Romans. Now, listen to me. The letters that Paul wrote during this time, along with others, are in our Bible. They're in our Bible now. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And these letters that are in our Bible were God-breathed. It wasn't just Paul writing down some thoughts from his own mind and heart. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Theonoustos. It is, it is breathed out by God through human instruments. And so... While Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, all his letters, when he was writing these things that are in our Bible, God was breathing through his instrument, Paul, so that he wrote down exactly what God wanted him to write down. So when we have Paul's letters collected in the New Testament canon, what we have here is Scripture, God's Word, truth with no mixture of error. And so God is, listen to me, God is undergirding the expansion of the gospel, the the spread of the church with the foundation of truth, the the foundation of the New Testament. The Word of God plays a major role in undergirding this, this gospel expansion in the first century. But listen to me. Not only was Paul being used by God to write Scripture, Paul shared the Word of God through preaching. Look what it says in Acts 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, he's in the city of Troas. 
Paul talked with him, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Then at midnight, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. A young man named Eutychus sitting at the window, sank into deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Now, what's Paul talking about? We don't know for sure, but, but certainly he's talking about the Word of God. He's preaching a message. He's encouraging them with truth. And so, so, so the Bible's being written during this time, and Paul is preaching truth to the church. Here's what we glean from that. When we share God's Word with others... We are sharing something of great value. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Profitable. If you want to speak something into someone else's life that is profitable, speak the Word of God. It, It pays dividends. It says it's profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. There's nothing that you can share with someone else that is more profitable than God's Word. Amen? So you and I, if we're going to be encouragers, we need to learn to speak the Word of God into other people's lives. To talk about God's Word. Whenever we help someone build on the firm foundation of truth, we are encouraging them. Anytime you're helping someone to build on truth, You are encouraging them. So we read the story, Eutychus falls asleep and falls out of the window and and he's dead. And Paul comes down and he bent over him. It says, verse 9, he was taken up dead. Paul comes down, bent over him, taking him in his arms. He says, do not be alarmed, his life is in him. And I believe that God miraculously heals Eutychus. And he doesn't have to stand before God and say, why are you dead? Well, I fell asleep in a sermon. Right? All right, you don't have to say that before God when you, when you step into heaven. and You don't have to say that, do you? But, but God gives him life. And, and so the, the last part of that passage, it says, they took, Paul left, they took the youth away alive. He has his life, and they were not a little comforted. They were greatly encouraged because the young man was Alive, The people in Troas were encouraged by the life of Eutychus. And undoubtedly they were encouraged by the words of life that Paul had shared. The message he had preached. Just this weekend I was talking to a, a lady who is a member of my former church. The church I pastored before I came uh, to Longview Point. And uh, she's going through a very difficult time in her life and and, and, and we were just talking, and, and, and she was sharing with me some things going on in her life. And she mentioned that some folks from her church uh, came and visited her. And she mentioned that they had pointed her to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord of my soul, forget not all of his benefits, and that wonderful psalm. And, and she mentioned how Psalm 103 had been such a great encouragement to her in her time of trial. And I thought, that's awesome. Those folks came by, and they didn't just say, hey, how are things going? They spoke truth into her life, and she was greatly helped by it. So when we will will share truth with others in whatever context we're we're in, over coffee, in in a Bible study, you know, on the golf course, wherever we are, if we'll talk about God's Word, we'll help each other, Right? We'll help each other. 
I, I love the, the NBA playoffs and Steph Curry and LeBron James, and I'm all into to, to that. But listen to me. Speaking to someone about the Word of God has much more value than the Golden State Warriors do. Amen? And so you and I need to learn this truth. Do you see in Acts 20 how the Word of God was everywhere? It's being written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians, Romans, and Paul's preaching the Word and encouraging the church. So here's, here's the, the point of this sermon. Here's what I want you to walk away with as we think about the ministry of encouragement. There's a great need for and great potential in encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe this may be the missing ingredient in the American church. Because we got resources, we got buildings, we got budgets, we got plans, and we got books, and we got Christian bookstores, and we got strategies, we got all this stuff. I wonder if there's enough encouragement going on in the body of Christ. Checking on each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other into the potential God has for our lives. Raising up leaders. I wonder if there's enough encouragement going on in the body of Christ. We all have room to grow. And here's the great thing about encouragement. You don't have to go to seminary to be an encourager. Can I get an amen? You don't have to be a pastor to be an encourager. You don't, you don't, listen, all you have to be is available to God. Armed with the word of God, caring about others, encouraging others. Just recently, I was with a group of pastors, and we were going around the table, and we were sharing with each other the defining moment in our lives. It was really an encouraging time to hear these pastors talk about the defining, what they considered the defining moment in their lives. And this pastor named Josh uh, began to share about his defining moment. And he said, my defining moment was when I was in seventh grade. We all thought, well, no one said that yet. Middle school. He said he was in a small private school. And Josh says he was uh, awkward and uh, an easy target for kids to make fun of him and be mean to him. And he said he was having a, a difficult time navigating this small school because you had, you know, middle schoolers with upperclassmen, with high schoolers, and they were all together. And he said it was just a, a difficult time uh, in his life. You know middle, what middle school is like. And he said, but there was a, a senior in that school named Travis. And he said, Travis did three things that changed my life. He said, this was the defining moment in my life. And he named the three things. He said, I can remember them just like they were yesterday. Number one, I was having an incident at my locker. Some kids were being cruel and unkind. And Travis walked up. And Travis stopped it. And just made sure I was okay. So another thing I remember about Travis is... I was on the soccer team, and because we were a small school, you had middle schoolers playing with upperclassmen, and so I was on the team, and, and I had the chance to go in the game, and I was nervous because I was playing with these older kids. He said, Travis said, hey, listen, if you get in trouble, I'll be right beside you. Just pass the ball over to me. I'll be right there with you. He thought, that gave me courage to go in the game and play soccer. The third thing he mentioned was 
that one day he was out front of his school sitting on a bench all by himself. He said, Travis, this senior, walked up and just sat down beside him, had a conversation with him, just encouraged him. And then Josh, this pastor, said, shortly after Travis graduated, he passed away. He said, but those three moments of encouragement, those three moments of kindness changed the trajectory of my life. He was a seventh grader. He said, now I feel called by God, wherever he has me pastoring, that it is my job, it is my calling to encourage the hurting. To find that person no one else cares about. To find that person that is having a rough time in their life. And to go to them like Travis went to me and be an encourager to them. He said, that was the defining moment of my life. Think about that. One senior's encouragement changed the trajectory of Josh's life. And you and I have the potential to encourage others that same way. To speak life and truth and hope so that people can grow in their faith and make a difference for the glory of God. So I want to ask you a question. When you see that, that Josh in your life hurting Troubled, lonely, hopeless. Will you be an encourager to them? That's what we desperately need.